Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey there, this is Henry Grabar. What Next is on vacation, and they asked me to pick a favorite episode for an encore. I like this one from March about Ilhan Omar and anti Semitism. It feels particularly relevant right now in the wake of President Donald Trump convincing Israel to bar Representative Omar and her colleague, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib of Detroit, from entering Israel. Here's the show. Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar has become well known for a couple of things, being the first woman to wear a hijab on the floor of Congress and making off-the-cuff comments that question the U.S. relationship with Israel. The backlash over this tweet, she had tweeted, quote, it's all about the Benjamins, baby, and it was her response. This weekend at a Washington, D.C. bookstore, she was trying to defend what she said, point out how labeling her comments as anti-Semitic can be a distraction. We end up defending that, and nobody ever gets to have the broader debate of what is happening with Palestine. And then... She slipped up again. I want to talk about the political influence in this country that says it is okay for people to push for allegiance to a foreign country. She says allegiance to a foreign country. Four words, just a couple of seconds of a 10-minute speech. If this event weren't being streamed on Facebook, we might have never heard these four words again. Instead, here we are. It's about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who has a a panoply of a canard of anti-Semitic ideas. Do the Democrats have a problem with anti-Semitism? She supports enemies of America and doesn't look herself in the mirror and say, my God, if I'm accusing people of dual loyalty, where are my loyalties? When you saw what was happening with Ilhan Omar, what did you want to talk about? I wanted to talk about the fact that her rhetoric wasn't great. She wasn't entirely wrong. Jordan Weissman is a writer here at Slate. She didn't exactly pick the best way to say it, but she had a point. Today on the show, Jordan's going to make this case that we need to listen to what Representative Ilhan Omar is saying. I'll also make the case that there are some things she's getting really wrong, but they're not the things we're all talking about. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
So obviously, the last few days, Congress has been engulfed by this controversy over Ilhan Omar's comments about Israel and APAC, particularly this thing she said about whether or not it was okay to push for allegiance to a foreign country. Um, and this is her third time. Getting in trouble? Yeah. Yeah. She, my read on the situation is that she's a bit tone deaf. I think that she does not necessarily have a sensitivity to certain things that come off as dog whistles to the Jewish community or come off as uh, anti-Semitic to the Jewish community. I guess the first thing you have to get back to is she got in trouble a while back in February for a, a really bad tweet where <laughs> basically she said that American support for Israel was all about the Benjamins. Right, uh, with the little music emoji. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, quoting Diddy, right? <laughs> it's like not the best way to talk about U.S.-Israeli politics because there is no more obvious stereotype about Jews than they use their money for influence, right? Like that is the ultimate, like that is the most baseline obvious anti-Semitic smear you can come up with. When you saw that tweet, uh, yeah. what do you think? My response to that was, no, that's not good. That is, that's a really bad way to phrase this. You do need to be able to talk about the influence of the pro-Israel lobby. And, you know, fundraising is a part of that. Uh, Sheldon Adelson's money is a big part of that. You know, there, <laughs> there's a reason uh, Republicans go and court him. It's not because he's a great guy. It's because he is the Republican Party's biggest donor and he has very strong feelings about Israel. But doing it by saying it's all about the Benjamins is not a great way of, of handling that issue. And furthermore, it's also kind of wrong. Like if you think that U.S. support for Israel is all about lobbying dollars, you really do not have a comprehensive understanding of the situation. So it was kind of bad on multiple fronts. It was bad. And we should say yeah. that she apologized. She did. And she came out and said, you know, I'm learning about anti-Semitic tropes and I appreciate people who have kind of stood by me and I'm trying to be better. And some conservatives started referring to that, I think, as a hostage style apology or something. I mean, there was just like no presumption of good faith there from from the right. But a lot of people on the left kind of moved on. They said, OK, she's apologized. Well, and after this yeah. tweet came out and after the apology came out, I remember a lot of people saying, now she's had her chance. Yeah. And she should really run a much tighter ship with her Twitter and with what she says. And then what happened this weekend? Well, so last week she was at this bookstore event and she you know, was talking about how hard it is to criticize Israel when you're a Muslim woman and how there's a presumption that you're anti-Semitic. <laughs> or she feels there's a presumption that she's anti-Semitic. And furthermore, that she talked about how uh, accusations of anti-Semitism seem to be used to shut down conversations about Israel, which I think most people would agree is correct. But then at the end of that, she said, I want to be able to have a conversation about why it's okay to push allegiance to a foreign country. And it was this word, allegiance, that everyone kind of seized on. Kind of went off like a scrunky shofar, I think was how I put it. Like, you know, <laughs> it was just like everyone was just like, uh-oh. And so the conversation started all over again because it has this connotation. People often call it the dual loyalty smear, right? Is this connotation of Jews as sort of having foreign loyalties, that they're working against the interests of their nation. And it goes back a long time. But rather than backing down and apologizing, over the weekend, she actually doubled down. She said, I do not think I should have to pledge allegiance to another country in order to serve you know, on the Foreign Affairs Committee. She did not. She was not going to apologize this time. And so that's led to the situation now where um, Democratic leadership is trying to craft uh, some sort of resolution that condemns anti-Semitism and this thing about the dual loyalty smear. But they're also trying to do it without pissing off the left because a lot of people on the left have come to Omar's defense for reasons I'm sure we're about to talk about. Um, 
saying that she's being unfairly maligned and targeted for all these reasons. And so now they're doing this weird thing where they're trying to broaden it out to condemn anti-Muslim bigotry and just kind of bigotry in general. They, they just It's going to be we don't like racism, I think, is sort of or, or religious bigotry is sort of what they're working towards. So I have no idea. So this idea. legislation has become like a big bucket to sort of toss all sorts of anti-racist things into. I think it would be funny if this thing just sort of amounted to like, can we all just be a little less racist here? Like, if that's <laughs> sort of the I think like. Can't we all just get along like that? Should, Co-sign that, on that. If that's what it becomes, like that should be fine. But they're trying to figure out how to whether the pretty bad faith attacks from the right, the fury from moderate and pro-Israel Democrats, and uh, also the simultaneous pushback from the left that sees one of their own being unfairly attacked. Sounds it's like a, a mess. mess. <laughs> it's a jinx. What's interesting, though, yeah, when you wrote about this, yeah. You highlighted how if you roll back the tape yeah. from the allegiance comment, she's talking about some really interesting things about how she's seen and how she talks about Israel and her sort of presumption of, of yeah. guilt, I guess, in yeah. this regard. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So in her comments, she is talking specifically about how accusations of anti-Semitism are used to shut down conversations about Israel. And how, as a Muslim woman, uh, there seems to be this presumption that she is anti-Semitic, that she must be harboring some animus. And she's not doing herself any favors by kind of hitting on these trigger words. But the ironic thing is, as she has attempted to make that point, then <laughs> she, she is suddenly being called a Jew hater for essentially trying to make that point in a way that some people found a little bit offensive. And so, it, you know, she says that every time we try to have this conversation, it just gets derailed uh, by accusations of anti-Semitism and we never get to talk about Palestine. And then that is actually what seems to have happened here. Now, whether or not you think that's fair because she used this word allegiance, it is what unfolded. It's like she's pointing to the stands. It's like, look, this is where the ball's going, you know? Well, it's interesting to me because you pointed out yeah. how... Will Salatan in Slate yeah. wrote a piece when Netanyahu spoke from Congress, sort of criticizing what went down. And he used the word allegiance. So let's strip away the historical connotations of that word allegiance, right? Let's just say that it's kind of a generic word for something a little stronger than ordinary support for a country. You know, it's unconditional support or reflexive support. Israel's conservative backers, especially, have been blurring that line, I think, between allegiance or whatever you want to call it and normal support. People have written this. Like you said, Will Salton wrote about this. You know, when Republicans invited Benjamin Netanyahu to come and speak before Congress and while Barack Obama was trying to negotiate the Iran deal, they broke diplomatic protocol by inviting a foreign leader without getting permission from uh, the president first. It was unprecedented. Some people thought it may have even been unconstitutional at the time. And they brought in a foreign leader to essentially come and humiliate the president of the United States on his own turf and try to shame Democrats into opposing this deal. And as Will, you know, our colleague wrote at the time, he's like, you know, yeah, it, this raises questions about whether or not Republicans actually feel more allegiance to Israel, Israeli interests than American interests. And those were his words. And partly that was based on polling that showed that Republican voters actually think I think a majority of Republican voters actually believed that if U.S. and Israeli interests diverge, Israeli interests should prevail, which was kind of shocking to see that poll. And I think they were, you know, they were getting those cues from somewhere. So that's one example. I mean, she's pulling on this string, yeah. which is like, you have to think not just about what I'm saying, but how you see me. Because she presents in this very particular way. Yeah. She's pretty short with people, which, you know, 
you could read one way or another, but she's she's quick to respond and she's defensive of what she does. Mm -hmm. She's also the first American with a hijab in Congress. So you're seeing this very particular individual say these things. If Lindsey Graham was saying these same things, would we be reacting this way? It might be something that we react to strongly, but would it sort of be such a strong part of the news cycle? Would we be filing something, some legislation in Congress that's about anti-Semitism? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's likely. You know, I really I, I don't. Part of it is that she is a supporter of the BDS movement, which is right now, I think, the most hot button thing in U.S. Israeli politics. We should explain. This yeah. is to explain I, what the letters are. Yeah, BDS, which is it's boycott, divest and sanction. And uh, the idea is basically treating Israel the way you treated South Africa during apartheid, which that, is we're not going to fund a government mm-hmm. that is doing things we don't agree with. Yep. And it's a movement on college campuses and states. And I think a lot of Jews, even progressive Jews, have complicated feelings about BDS. Some support it, some don't. Um, she is a very vocal supporter of it. And as a result, she is very much a target for APAC. And she's very much a target for pro-Israel lobbyists and politicians because she's staked out this stance. And so aside from her identity, um, aside from uh, you know who she is, also there is this policy reason why they want to go after her. What I find really interesting about your analysis, though, is that you're kind of seeing all these things at the same time, where you see that she has this identity that presents in a certain way and causes people to react very strongly when Mm -hmm. she says things that they find offensive, but that she's also getting things wrong about the U.S.-Israeli relationship. Yeah. Money is one aspect. And if you reduce America's support to Israel to lobbying dollars or Sheldon Adelson's dollars, you're just missing the bigger picture or you're missing a big part of the picture. For people who don't know, what is she missing? There's a reason why most support for Israel doesn't come from American Jews at this point. The hardcore support for, for Israel in the U.S. comes from the evangelical right. That is the, the real backbone of support at this point. And it's the Mike Pence's of the, the world. The Mike Pence's of the world. And you can get into the reasons why. I mean, there is this sort of eschatological thing where some Christians clearly think that the Jews have to go to Israel to bring the uh, savior back. And then some Christians just think the Jews are sort of have a historic claim on that land and therefore they deserve it. Um, there are all sorts of things. But there's there are all these religious reasons why evangelicals back Israel so strongly. You know, that's one of the reasons why you see uh you see APEC and you see Netanyahu and you see the Israeli government doing less outreach to American Jews and taking stances like cozying up to Donald Trump the way they do that are going to alienate American Jews. But they know it's that's not really where their base of support is at this point. To be fair, yeah, does she associate the support with Judaism? Because in what I've seen, she's always talking about Israel. Yeah. But well, this and this is the long this is the never-ending saga of what is anti-Semitism, right? Like, she's very clear. She says, I'm not talking about Jews. I'm talking about Israel, you know, and APAC and lobbyists. She says that over and over again. The thing about Israel is whenever someone's criticizing it, right? And I guess for people who don't get why criticizing Israel could be considered anti-Semitic, because there are people who just don't get that. The question in most Jews' minds is, if you're only criticizing Israel, why is it that you're only picking on Israel? Why is it that you're so focused on what's happening in this one state versus, say, what's happening in China with the Uyghurs or, you know, the way India treats Muslims or whatnot? Like there's, you know, why is it that you are so focused on the Jewish state? And the classic formulation now is like Israel is the Jew amongst states, right? All the old classic anti-Semitic tropes that used to be applied to Jews as people are now applied to Israel. And I don't think that's totally fair because sometimes Though sometimes the criticisms are just of, you know, its occupation, <laughs> are of its human rights record and are totally valid. But 
the point where you cross the border from you know serious legitimate political criticism to something that's more conspiratorial and anti-Semitic is often the eye of the beholder and is it is hard to tell sometimes. Part of this conflation is coming from our leaders themselves. Yeah. Because when anyone is asked about support of Judaism, the first thing out of their mouth is I support Israel. <laughs> yeah. So this is something, this is my favorite tick on the right. The but I support Israel excuse, right? It's like the eye of a black friend when you're accused of racism. It's, you know, when guys like Steve King, who pals around with anti-Semites, or not anti-Semites, but white nationalists, let's call them that, um, retweets actually open white nationalists. When he is accused uh, of anti-Semitism or perpetuating anti-Semitism, he often says, well, I, no one is a stronger supporter of the Jewish state than I am. And to me, it's like, well, that says nothing about American Jews, right? Like, it's like, just because you support Israel doesn't mean you actually like the Jews in America, that you like most American Jews, that you don't have resentments towards American Jews. For all I know, the fact that you support Israel means that you just want to pack us off and send us there. You say you worry about some of the stuff you've said while we've been in conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which a few things, yeah. I mean, I wonder yeah. what the response has been from other young American Jews when you talk about this. So I think most young Jews are probably actually to my left at this point. <laughs> like I'm kind of squishy uh, comparatively. I have gotten some blowback from older and pro-Israel Jews, and particularly about one line I wrote at the end, where I said that if Israel's strongest U.S. backers are so concerned about smears about dual loyalty or allegiances, they should maybe do a little less to encourage them. What do you uh, mean by that? Um, doing things like inviting uh, the prime minister of Israel to come and undermine the U.S. president on his, you know, on on his home turf. Um, that's one prominent example. But also, uh, there have been a bunch of states that have passed laws that say that if you participate in the boycott divestment and sanctions movement, BDS, that you cannot do government contracting. There's actually a case currently in Texas where the speech pathologist um, could no lost her job at, in a school district because she wouldn't sign a contract saying she wouldn't boycott Israel. Um, and that's Which is kind of forcing her yeah. into this allegiance issue. Well, yeah, it's, it's really, yeah, I mean, it's it's really forcing the issue. It, right up front, it's saying you your free speech rights are less important to us than Israel's economic interests. If you pass a law like that, you are basically begging for that conversation. And, and there have been a, a few Jewish writers who've talked about this before. They have said, you're taking the stereotype and you are bringing it to life. That comes back to my feelings about Omar a bit, which is that her language wasn't great, but she wasn't entirely wrong. What does she do now? I really think sensitivity training. I really, I think it sounds so lame, right? It sounds so corporate. But like, I think it would be so useful just spend a little bit of time, she and her staff, with, with part, that part of the Jewish community, just like learning about some of this stuff and like learning what tropes tend to set people off. That would fix a lot, right? Hmm. Like it's it's not, I don't think, I, I think the, the right way to deal with this is dialogue. I don't think it's a resolution about how we should all just get along. Jordan, thank you so much for coming and talk to me about all this. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Jordan Weissman writes for Slate, usually about economics. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. You can make the world a much better place by logging on to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating or review. We are reading them. It is a big favor when you do that. Helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. When you write articles like this, 
Do you like gird yourself for the feedback? Oh, yeah. One person found me on Instagram and called me a schmuck in front of my mother. <laughs> it was like, I just like, I got a notification in the morning. It says, it just said, you're a schmuck. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, just yell at me on Twitter like everyone else. <laughs> 